the most worshipful offering that we can lay at his throne is to disciple another person in the truth of his gospel. And that's exactly what you just saw in that powerful testimony about Betty Wiseman. Betty is a member of our family of churches. She attends the Brentwood campus, and she has been living that life at Belmont University for decades. Who are you discipling, and how are you being Disciple. That is the fifth spiritual challenge question that we have come forth or brought to you throughout this sermon series. And as we finish up this, this, this sermon series about disciples who make disciples with Jesus Christ, that is the question that I want you to hear as I bring to you God's word this morning. If you would, please stand and turn to 2 Timothy 2, 1 through 7. 2 Timothy 2. 1 through 7. If you can't find it in the Bible, it'll be up here on the screen behind me just the same. The word of the Lord. You therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. What you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, commit to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Share in sufferings as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No one serving as a soldier gets entangled in the concerns of civilian life. He seeks to please the commanding officer. Also, if anyone competes as an athlete, he is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. The hard-working farmer ought to be the first to get a share of the crops. Consider what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. King Jesus, thank you for your words. Thank you for your testimony. Thank you for the opportunity to serve you. Sometimes we're afraid. Sometimes we're filled with fear at the task that you call us to. But in this moment, drive out that fear. Fill us with your grace. Amen. This is Paul's second letter to Timothy. We believe this is Paul's final letter. We learn in Acts that Paul was in house prison or home prison under home guard for about two years in in Rome and we don't know exactly what that looks like but we do know this that whether or not it was during that time or on his very last day at some point he was in a cell with chains and it's under this idea it's in this mindset that Paul writes to his young brother in Christ Timothy I have been there. I have seen it with my own eyes. It is dank and it is musty and it is dark. I mean, it is dark. It is literally a hole cut out of the ground in the shape of a vase. It looks more like a tomb than a cell. And it comes up together to a point where there is a circle up top that's about 24 inches in circumference. And it's through that hole in the ground that they would have lowered Paul into his cell. There's nowhere to go. 
It's about as wide as your wingspan, maybe a little bit more. It's tiny. And it is dark. There's nowhere to go to the bathroom. There's no hope of climbing out. The only way out is when another soldier is lowered by a rope, when he ties it around your waist and they pull you out. So it is in this setting. It is with this in the back of Paul's mind and in his heart that he writes to young Timothy, his disciple, and he writes to encourage his brother. He doesn't let the circumstances beat him down, but rather he writes to encourage Timothy. If you look at the end of the first chapter, just prior to what we just read, Paul comments that everyone in Asia has abandoned the faith. And so he writes to young Timothy feeling alone and feeling rejected, feeling like all of his work has not paid off because they've all abandoned the faith except for you, Timothy. I write to you. And he says, therefore, my son, be strong in the grace of Jesus Christ. That be strong means to be strengthened. It's continual. It means continually strengthen yourself in the grace of Jesus Christ. Continue to go back to the well. Continue to live in the forgiveness of the Father. Live in the love of Jesus Christ. Continually strengthen yourself in the grace that is found in the Son. Abide in Jesus. Wake up in the morning, brothers and sisters. And talk to God. As David said last week, talk to God about people and talk to people about God. Abide in Christ. In the 15th chapter of John, Jesus says, abide in me. If if I abide in you and you abide in me, then we will produce great fruit together. But if you are separate from me, if you do not abide in me, you can do nothing. Abide in Jesus Paul writes to his young disciple Timothy and he says, be strengthened in the grace of Christ. Live in the love of Jesus who is faithful, who is constant, who is unfailing. We can be confident in our Lord. So here's your challenge as you go through the rest of this week. I challenge you to spend one more minute a day with Jesus. Just one more minute a day this week. 60 seconds. If you are the kind of person that only prays for 30 seconds in the morning, pray for 60 seconds more. If you don't have words for 60 more seconds, pray for 30 seconds and read a psalm. One more minute a day this week. And then next week. Add another minute. You see, Paul understood the mission. He understood what it meant to be discipled by someone else. Paul had been discipled. Paul was discipled by Barnabas, which you just heard Pastor Mike talk about. Barnabas was a normal guy, just like you and me. No Damascus Road experience like Paul. He wasn't called the one that Jesus loved like John. But you know what he was? He was filled with the Holy Spirit. 
He knew who he was before he was a sinner. He knew he had been washed in the blood of Jesus Christ, and he knew he had new life forevermore. And it's in that hope and that eternal promise that Barnabas lived and encouraged other brothers and sisters in Christ. When no one else would go anywhere near Paul, Barnabas vouched for him. Barnabas said, you need to listen to this guy. They responded, it's like, we know who he is. That's Saul. He persecutes the followers of the way. He puts them in prison. He has them killed. And Barnabas says, you're right. That's who that was. But he's been washed in the blood, and now he's a new creation to live forevermore. Barnabas vouched for Paul when no one else wanted to go near him. That's how you encourage your brother and sister in Christ. Paul had been discipled, and it was Paul's turn to disciple someone else. He understood the mission. He had the gospel, and he had given it to Timothy, and now he wanted to make sure that Timothy understood the mission as well. And so you get that second verse, what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses. Entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach also. Paul has discipled Timothy. Paul has given him the gospel. And Paul has now given him the mission. You see, Timothy had heard Paul proclaim the truth in front of many witnesses. It wasn't a one-time, one-off proclamation of the gospel. Timothy had been there when Paul had been attacked by others, when the trials and the difficulties of this world had taken place. He had been there when all of the competing philosophies had been thrown at Paul, and he saw what Paul did when that happened. Paul took everything that this world had to offer, and he compared it to the gospel. That was his baseline. And every time Timothy saw Paul walk away and say, this is the truth. Jesus is the son. And all other things pale in comparison to his promise for my life. Timothy, it's the same promise he has for you. He had given Timothy the gospel. He had given him the mission. We have the gospel. Do we understand the mission? Paul understands where Timothy is too. And he anticipates the response that Timothy is going to have. Timothy is young, he's new in the ministry, and he's basically alone. So that's easy to say. He's scared. He hadn't seen it all. And he basically wants to run and hide whenever he gets an opportunity. And Paul understands the fear that's in his heart. So Paul anticipates Timothy's response. I don't know how. I don't have the right words. I don't have a disciple. And he gives him the next five verses. And he gives him three metaphors in those five verses. He tells him, Timothy, you're going to have to be like an athlete. You're going to have to be like a soldier. And you're going to have to be like a farmer. You're going to have to have a mission. You're going to have to be obedient. You're going to have to be diligent. And you're going to have to be patient. I'm not going to spend much time on the athlete, but very briefly, if you remember the Russian athletes in this past Winter Olympic, they were not allowed to compete. Do you remember why? 
because they had used performance enhancement drugs leading up to the Olympics themselves, and they were disqualified. They were disqualified because they had not competed by the rules. Brothers and sisters in Christ, character matters. What we say matters. What we do matters. How we respond to trials in this world matters. People are watching Christ followers to see the way we respond. Character matters. And if we're abiding in Christ, renewing our strength in his grace, our character will come out the way he wants it to. And he will be glorified. Your character matters. Your character is yours to form. It's yours to forge. It's yours to mature. It is between you and Jesus Christ. There is nothing that anyone else can say or do when it comes to your character. You must be, we must be obedient. I will never forget sitting in that auditorium with 400 of my closest friends. We were sitting there waiting to hear a retired army general come speak to us about what it meant to be a leader, about what it meant to be a good soldier. And so in anticipation as he walked out, basically He tells us a story, and I'm not going to do it justice. This man carried weight when he walked onto the stage. He was a recipient of the Congressional Medal of Honor. He just had this aura aura about him. And basically, the point was, the mission is first and foremost. I hope you heard that. The mission is first and foremost. Discipline is integral in the life of a soldier. And finally, unquestioning obedience. These very same things deal with leadership. And this is the story he told, and I won't do it justice. He says, when I was a kid, I had my best friend. Me and him, we grew up together, and we were tight. Uh, We would finish each other's peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. We would finish each other's words. We played together. We spent the night at each other's house. We did everything together. I mean, we were close. We were best friends. We went through school together. And then when time came, we went through basic training together before the Vietnam War. And we still hung tight. We were so close that whenever, someone, whenever he started to tell a joke, I could finish the punchline. No matter what, when he was talking, I could finish his sentences and vice versa. At times, we could just look each other in the eye and know exactly what the other one was thinking. He was my best friend for my whole life. And we got done with basic training, and then we find ourselves out on a patrol in Vietnam. And the next thing we know... Bullets are raining down on us. 
we all hit the ground. And luckily, there's a log that had fallen or a tree that had fallen right there. And we scurry up as close to that tree, and our faces are in the dirt. And there is just a hellfire of bullets raining over us. And there is nowhere we can go because the enemy has us overwhelmed with numbers. We're just a platoon. We are fortunate in the very first of this fight that they don't realize we're just a platoon. Otherwise, they would have run us over immediately. But as this young officer finally gets the, brave, the, um, the courage to bring his face up out of the dirt and look to see what's going on with the rest of the members of his platoon, he notices that one by one they're getting hit by bullets, and he knows I have to do something. And so he thinks they don't know how small we are. They would have run us over already. They're going to try and flank us. They're going to try and come around to our side. And when they get around to our side, we'll be caught in the crossfire and we will be dead for sure. I can't allow them to get to our flank. I've got to get superior firepower over there. It's just me and a platoon of guys. And the biggest gun I've got is my machine gunner. I've got to get my machine gunner over there on the flank, and they won't know, and hopefully he can hold them off just long enough where we can displace and regroup and reform, and the mission won't fail. So in that moment, the young officer looks up and looks at his machine gunner, and without saying a word, his best friend looks him in the eye, and goes over to protect the flank, knowing he will never see him again. Unquestioning obedience is part of the life of a soldier. The mission comes first and foremost, and discipline is integral. As believers in Christ, our spiritual discipline is integral in our growth as Christ followers. Our mission has been given to us by our master, our commanding officer. Unquestioning obedience is what is required. You don't get to question the CO. You do what you're told, even if it costs you your life. Jesus says, whoever wants to follow me, take up his cross daily and follow me. Paul knew that this would give Timothy an idea of what it was going to take to make disciples. He also knew that Timothy was going to ask the question, okay, well that's all well and good, Paul, but who am I supposed to disciple? Everyone else is gone. And Paul says in that second verse, faithful men, men of character, men who are good, who are honest, who are loyal, who are kind, who are caring, who are not self-serving. Most of the time, they're not flashy, they're not wealthy, they're not rich, they're not famous. Most of the time, God uses people just like you and me to make disciples. Because when we are weak, he shows off. And this is how Paul discipled Timothy. 
He shared the gospel. He made himself available to Timothy. He spent time with Timothy. He brought Timothy alongside him when he was doing kingdom work. He showed Timothy how to proclaim the gospel. And finally, Paul facilitated Timothy's growth in his spiritual gifts. In other words, he didn't try to make a clone of himself. He allowed Timothy to grow in the gifts that God had given him, and he encouraged him to go and make disciples with the gifts God had given him. Who can you share the gospel with? Who can you spend time with? Who can you encourage to use their spiritual gifts? Who can you walk alongside to do kingdom work? If there is not a name in your head right now, then listen. Who does God continue to put in your path? That's the person. Who does God continue to put in your path? In the 17th chapter of John, we have Jesus giving the high priestly prayer. He's in the garden, and he's praying to his Father. And he says, I have glorified you, Father, because I obeyed you. Jesus' ministry, for three years he made disciples. He basically concentrated on 12 men. He told them the truth and the teachings that they would need to go and make disciples on their own. He made disciples. And he says in John 14, if you love me, you will do what I've done. He made disciples. Brothers and sisters, if we love Jesus, we are called to make disciples. Later on, he says this, if you love me, you will obey my commands. And in Matthew 28, 18 through 20, we have the Great Commission. We go all the way back to the passage that started this sermon series. And it says, go ye therefore and make disciples. We call it the Great Commission, but that make is an imperative. It is a command. If you love me, you will keep my commands. Go and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you, and I will be with you until the end of the age. The highest compliment we can pay to Jesus and perhaps the most worshipful offering we can lay at his altar is to disciple another person in his gospel. Go make disciples. I'm going to ask the 
worship team to come up now. And I want everyone else in here to take a pen and a paper out this morning. If you don't have a piece of paper, make a note on your device. If you don't have a device, there is usually a brown tag for prayer requests in the front there. If you would, take that pen, and I'm going to give you 15 seconds. And I want you to write the name of that person that you can share the gospel with, that you can spend time with, that you can encourage to utilize their spiritual gifts. And remember, if you don't have a name, write down that name of that person that God keeps putting in your path. Go ahead. For the next 60 seconds, you're going to fulfill that challenge I gave you. And we're going to pray for that name you just wrote down. So I'm going to ask you to bow your heads. Pray for that individual that they would be drawn near to the Father. Pray that you would make time this week for that person. If that person is not a believer, I would pray that God would open a door for you to share the gospel. And if they are a believer, Pray that God would give you the words to encourage this person to use their spiritual gifts. And finally, pray that you would be able to do kingdom work together sometime this week with that person that God keeps putting in your path. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you before his glorious presence with blamelessly and with great joy to the one true God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, dominion, majesty, and authority from before all time till now and forevermore. Amen. Amen.